Everybody, I'm Linda. I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 10. Revelation is the last book of the Bible and pretty easy to find. Then I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voice of seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had been standing that had been standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them and the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and said there will be no more delay but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations and languages and kings. Good morning everyone and thank you Linda for reading God's word so clearly. As we approach the wonderful word of the Lord, let's um, pray together. Oh, gracious Lord Jesus, you are the fountain and the source of life itself. And each one of us come today in desperate need of your life source in every part of our being. And we ask today, gracious, gracious Lord Jesus... Would you anoint our eyes to see that which you want us to see and our ears to hear that which you want us to hear, that within the depths of our hearts you will do such a work of grace that we will be ever more shaped to the image and likeness of your glory. For, Lord, there is our joy, there is our hope, and there is our desire. And we ask this in your name. Amen. In the book of Revelation, God answers uh, a number of questions, and in fact, very important questions. I'll give you a quick example. In chapters 8 and 9 that we saw last week, God answers the question of how he will bring this world to an end. And we saw that the final redemption comes through judgment. In another example, in chapter 5, God answers the questions of who will bring this world to an end. And of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
One of the most wonderful aspects of the book of Revelation is that God answers questions, important questions, about the church, about us. And he does it in such a reassuring and gracious way. Um, I don't often do this, but I've got a PowerPoint to show you because I'm trying to explain something to you. Thank you. Pop it up. Let me explain. Uh, If you think of... um, we, We read... Revelation, and it's like in chapter 1, the, the camera focuses on God. And then when we come to chapter 2, it pans towards the church. And God answers the question, what does he expect of the church? And then when we come back to chapters 4 and 5, they, the camera pans back onto God. And we see the throne room and the drama that's happening. And then in chapter 6, the camera focuses on the world. Uh, both past, present and future. And then before we get to chapter 7, we we have the the seals of the scroll and between the 6th and the 7th seal opening, there's this pause and chapter 7 in that pause focuses on the church and it answers the question of who will survive this judgment and and, and other questions. And then when we come to chapters 8 and 9, the camera goes back out again And it focuses on the world, particularly what will happen in the future. Then in chapters 8 and 9, you remember we have the trumpet sounding. And again, between the 6th and the 7th trumpet, there's this pause. And that's chapters 10 and 11. And in these chapters, again, God so graciously focuses on his blessed church, his bride, us. And the question that he's seeking to answer in these chapters is this. What will these terrible judgments and the rage of Satan mean for God's people? What an important question. Let me reread to you verses 1 to 4. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted in his right sorry, he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven funders have said and do not write. In this vision, John sees a mighty and awesome angel coming directly from the presence of God. Again, it's extraordinary because this angel has a mission and his mission is of crucial importance for the people of God. The characteristics of his angel symbolises God's sovereign care over his people. Let me give you an example. The cloud he is robed in emphasises his majesty. The rainbow reminds us of God's faithfulness. His legs burning like a pillar of fire cannot help but bring to mind the pillar of fire in the time of the Exodus. God guiding the Israelites through the terrible desert journeys into the promised land. 
we read that he's holding a little scroll and this one's open and, and this scroll we'll soon see symbolises the word of God. But we are also told that one foot is on the land and one foot is in the sea and he roars like a lion. To understand the significance of this, I need to jump ahead to chapter 13. Uh, and I'll just describe it to you. In chapter 13, we'll come to this. In chapter 13, we read of a beast, an evil beast that comes out of a sea and another evil beast that comes out of a land. They are the very positions where this angel has his feet. The two beasts of chapter 13, along with a dragon in chapter 12, this imagery, they form an unholy trinity. And they seek to destroy God's people and deceive the world. Right? Now, this angel has its feet on the land and in the sea, tells us that while evil will rise up to deceive and destroy, they are no match for God. The roar of the angels sounds their doom. See, here is God's representative. He has one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea, the very places where evil rises from, and this angel is unchallenged. No matter what comes that is evil and frightening in, in, in appearance, this no match for God. That's his messenger. See, what we see in this vision is telling us that while the world will suffer the horror of God's final judgment, his people will endure because we are under God's sovereign care. This interlude between the sounding of the sixth and the seventh trumpet, chapters 10 and 11, God is giving this, this word to reassure us. It reassures us that while the world is crumbling around us, while evil rises, we have a friend in heaven whose angels are mightier than any beast. My sisters and brothers, we rest secure in the sovereignty of God. Even if we don't understand what's happening around us. So you might notice in verse 4, the angel uh, told John not to write down what he heard from the seven thunders. Uh, seal up what the seven thunders has said and do not write them down. It seems odd, doesn't it? Why would the angel do this? The seven thunders signify more judgments are coming upon the earth. In Revelation, the image of thunder is most commonly associated with judgment. That there are seven thunders surely leads us to the conclusion that God's judgments are not just over, not over just yet. If you remember, we have the seven seals talking about God's judgments, the seven trumpets, talking about God's judgments, and soon we'll come to the seven bowls, talking about God's judgments. They all symbolise God's wrath, and no less the seven thunders. But why is John told not to record these judgments? There are some judgments to come that the Lord just does not want us to know about. See, the Lord is telling us much about how he will redeem the world, but he's not telling us everything. There are things to come that we do not know. 
There are things to come that we just won't understand. But that does not mean the Lord does not care for you or will make his church secure. Because here we see his representative, his angel, one foot on the earth, one foot on the sea, unchallenged from all that is evil. My sisters and brothers, whether it's today or the last day, we will feel the effects of God's judgment and we will suffer an attack of the unholy enemy. The activity of Satan and his demons are relentless and horrifying. The suffering he inflicts upon the lives of so many people is utterly disturbing, is it not? He's so active in attacking you and me, those whom God has set his love and affection upon. Just think of your own life, the constant temptations he sets before us, the seeds of doubt he tries to sow, the seeds of division he wants to show amongst us, the fear he tries to incite, it's unrelenting. When you come eyeball to eyeball with the evil beasts of this world, remember that he who's in you, in you is greater than he is in the world. This vision of the almighty angel reveals to us that the faithful Lord is sovereign over, over all. He will not allow his judgment or evil to overcome you. Rest secure in the sovereign power of God. Rest secure. Our God is full of glory and faithfulness. He will guide you safely through the desert of this world. He rules over everything unchallenged. So when we suffer the trials of life, and we do, and when we experience the trouble of a curse, and we do, when the activity of the evil one is upon us, rest secure under God's sovereign care. The Lord Jesus holds you. He protects you. He has signed, sealed and delivered you. Just on a moment of personal reflection, the, this vision in Revelation over this week has not only brought me much comfort, but liberated me. The vision that God's angels stand unchallenged before the enemy of evil has brought me not only comfort, but an incredible liberation. What will the last day judgments and the rage of Satan mean for the church? According to chapter 10, we rest secure in the sovereignty of God. But we also rest assured that redemption is near. Look with me at verses 5 and 7. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there'll be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, 
the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So now the, the angel raises his right hand and he swears by the eternal creator that there'll be no more delay. And of course, the question we're all asking, at least I'm asking, is delay of what? The, king, the coming kingdom of God. The angel is saying is that when God's final judgments come upon the world, it will be followed by the return of Christ. Verse 7, the mystery of God will be accomplished. The mystery of God will be accomplished. The mystery of God in the New Testament is described as the gospel. And the reason why the New Testament describes the gospel as a mystery is that in the Old Testament, it was only seen in part. But when Christ came, the mystery was fully revealed. Yet while the mystery of Christ has been fully revealed, it hasn't been fully accomplished. See, in this world, evil and rebellion still prevail. But when Christ returns, what has been fully revealed in Jesus will also be fully accomplished. Praise God. On that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what the Lord is telling the church in Revelation chapter 10 is rest assured. While a day of judgment will shake the foundations of the earth itself, rest assured, your final redemption is soon to follow. Part of the problem we face this morning is that from our perspective, God's return seems light years away. Right? But from God's perspective, everything is in place for his return. Jesus is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He has disempowered the devil. He has defeated death. He reigns in heaven in the power of an everlasting life. Nothing more needs to be done. What does this mean for us? Well, it means many things, but I want to bring to you one thing this, after, this morning. It's this. We must live our lives in a state of vigilance. We must be ready for Christ's return. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be ready? Well, the law of nature is pretty clear. You can't live in two places at once. I can't be here this morning and at home near the fire with my dog. Right? The same is true for your heart. Your heart cannot be in the world today and the world to come. Just can't. Think for a moment of Abraham. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that he made his home in the promised land as a stranger living in a foreign country. Why? Because he was looking forward to a city whose foundations and architect is God. Right? By faith, he was certain of what he did not see and sure of what he hoped for. Abraham lived in this world, but his heart was in the kingdom to come. How could he obey with such boldness? How could he give up his son, no less? By faith. He was certain of what he did not see and sure of what he hoped for. My sisters and brothers, faith makes us pilgrims and strangers upon the earth, this earth. 
It's faith. It lifts us out of this world and into the heavenly one. Now, of course, we ask the question, I certainly do, Lord, how do I live like Abraham? How do I have such faith? There's only one way. You come to the Lord Jesus and you cry out to the Lord, gracious, gracious Jesus, give me that faith of Abraham. Lord, would you give to me the certainty of things unseen and the surety of things hoped for? Fill my life with a deeper faith that I'll see the glory of the kingdom of God ever more clearly, that my heart will not be wedded to this world, but the one to come, that when you return, I will be ready. It's the only way. The, the songs we, we sung today and the, the psalm that was read speaks just of that truth. God lifts up the humble. He hears the prayer of the godly. Again, my, my sisters and brothers, our spiritual life is grown on the root of Christ. That's the root. So we come to Christ and humble ourselves, praying and waiting upon the Lord because he will answer such prayer. Can you begin to see from these verses what Christ's message to the church is? Rest secure, my people. I am sovereign. Rest assured, my people. I am coming. In verses 8 to 11, God's message then to the church is bear witness to the world of who I am. Let me reread with you verses 8 to 11. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people's Nations, languages, and kings. Now, John is told not only to take this scroll, uh, which, by the way, lies open, and, but to eat it. Now, on the face of it, this seems awfully bizarre, doesn't it? Right. But actually, the symbolism is so clear. It's so powerful. The background to this, these verses is Ezekiel chapter 3. Again, like much of... Rev there's so much in Revelation that alludes to the Old Testament. And it's a way of God not only bringing to us the truth in such a vivid way, but unifying the whole of his word. God commissioned Ezekiel in chapter 3 to speak his word by eating a scroll that had written upon it God's judgment for Israel. Right? So Ezekiel eats the scroll, well, in his vision, eats the scroll, and it's symbolic of him taking God's word in for himself, but then proclaiming it to the people. And we must remember, that word is a word of judgment. Same here for John. He is to digest, that is, to take in God's word. Now, why is it so sweet? 
Well, I would argue that what tastes sweeter than the very words of a living and eternal God. The revelation of God's infinite goodness. Right? The revelation of his immeasurable love. The, the revelation of his majestic glory delivers a joy into our inner being like nothing else. But more than this, we are so blessed this morning because God's word reveals reality. Through God's word, you see the world as, as it really is. You see the past and you see the present and you see the future as it truly is. Incredible gift of God. But you also see God's past, present and future judgment. It's part of his word. Because the word of God that God tells John to speak is a word of judgment, just like Ezekiel. See, what is God saying to the world? Turn your heart away from your sin and unbelief. Oh, come to the Son of God and he will give you life. The day of judgment is coming. Now, the question is, how does the world respond to such a testimony? Tell you how the world responds with hostility. That's why the word turns sour in his stomach, because while it's sweet to him, it will cause him much bitterness. See what this what these verses are telling the church generally, generally, and her preachers specifically, is we must take in God's word for ourselves and give an honest testimony to the world. And we must do this in the full knowledge that we are inviting pain, suffering and trouble to come upon us. Now, what does this mean for us here this morning? Well, as we work through this book of Revelation, and more and more, there is one thing that becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, and it's this. You either give your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and face the wrath of the world or you give your allegiance to the world and you face the wrath of Christ. There is no neutral ground, my sisters and brothers. This week on the ABC, there's a documentary on Israel Folau. Do you know what he did? He posted uh, on his social media a statement that hell awaits unrepentant sinners. And then he lists the various sins and says that only Jesus saves. That's what he did. He didn't use hate speech. He didn't use nasty language. And he wasn't speaking his opinion. He was paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. What was the result? He faced the wrath of the world. He is accused of bigotry, vilification and discrimination. He suffered the most extreme personal pain and he lost his career. If you give your allegiance to Christ and share an honest testimony about him, you will suffer the wrath of the world. 
Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we should invite persecution. That's just plain foolish. And I'm not saying we should discriminate against or vilify anyone who lives a life that is contrary to God's word. Of course not. That's plain ungodly. What I am saying is that Revelation chapter 10, God says to the church, prophesy my word. The world is under judgment. And know that when you do, you will suffer. And you must remember, you cannot separate the gospel from judgment. Let me, have I got time, very briefly. Andrew Thorburn, the former CEO of the Essendon Football Club, what did he do? He associated himself with a church that preached God's word. What was the result? Lost his job. Lost his career. Do you know what many churches did? They took off from their websites every sermon that referenced homosexuality. You either give your allegiance to Christ and face the wrath of the world, or you give your allegiance to the world and you face the wrath of Christ. Revelation tells us there is no neutral ground. My sisters and brothers, let's take courage together. Let us take in the good and sweet word of God. And let us then, with love, grace, sincerity and kindness, give an honest testimony to the world. Let us share the gospel in fullness. And when we suffer the wrath of the world, which we will, let us support one another. Encourage one another and help one another. What will the terrible judgments of the last day and the rage of Satan mean for God's people? Well, what we see in Revelation chapter 10 is we rest secure in the loving, gracious sovereignty of God. His angels stand fast, unchallenged. We rest assured that he's coming soon. And we give an honest testimony to the world concerning God's gospel. Let me lead you in prayer. Oh, gracious and eternal God, we proclaim today with one voice, you are the one who made all things you are worthy of all glory, honour, power and praise. For you created all things and by your will and for your pleasure they have their being. Father, we come to you today and we thank you that we can rest secure under your sovereign hand, assured in your imminent coming and, Lord, strengthened to speak your word. We confess to you today, Father, that so many times we shrink back. Father, we are often taken by fear, wedded to the world, and do not speak honestly about you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive us.
And we come now and pray, Lord Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, you reign in the power of an everlasting life and one day we will see you with our own eyes. All praise to you. Would you please, our wonderful High Priest, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us the faith of Abraham that we will be certain of things unseen and sure of things hopeful, that we would live that life of faith, obeying and sacrificing, declaring your word, that in the power of your spirit you would lift us up. Because, Lord Jesus, apart from you, we just can't do this. We desperately need you today. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.